1: You're
2: listening
3: to The Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your host, Connor Halley. Hello once again, Oiler fans, Connor Halley. Here it is, The Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. And as always, big thank you to our sponsor, DraftKings. Basketball has officially entered the second half of the season. Trade deadline just passed. And it's time for the teams to prove if they're contenders or pretenders. And DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, is giving new players a free shot at a million dollars in total prizes. Get in on the action now to claim your free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes when using the code word THPN during sign-up. Playing daily fantasy basketball is simple. Just pick your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Feel the sweat like never before. Every dunk, steal, assist means so much more with the DraftKings daily fantasy lineup. Me, of course, I like to stick with the Toronto Raptors. Things might have changed now that Norm Powell's out of the lineup, but hey, that's just more statistics. For Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam to pick up. With DraftKings, payday comes every day for players. So what are you waiting for? Download the DraftKings app now and use code THPN during sign-up. This week, DraftKings is putting you... In the action with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. That's code THPN, and you can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Minimum $5 deposit. Required eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. And you know what, guys? This week, I'm not going to lie. I've been playing a little bit more DraftKings than usual, and that's because the Edmonton Oilers... Well, they haven't done a whole lot. Of course, we found out on a Monday that the Montreal Canadiens had a couple of players that likely infected with COVID-19 and therefore the Edmonton Oilers would not be playing Wednesday night. They would not play Friday night. But some good news, we're finally through it. The Edmonton Oilers will return to action when they take on the Toronto Maple Leafs on Saturday. For that, we will bring in Josh Clipperton. He covers the Toronto Maple Leafs for the Canadian Press. And, uh you know, for the Oilers, it's it's been a few weeks since they played Toronto and, you know, were handled pretty easily. It wasn't a good stretch of three games for the Edmonton Oilers. They lost all three and did not look good in doing so. But since then, the Toronto Maple Leafs have cooled off, uh, played a couple games against the Calgary Flames and picked up the win. But everyone's beating the Calgary Flames as of late, so we can't give them too much credit for that. But we'll bring Josh onto the podcast to talk about the Maple Leafs and I'll get you set up for Saturday's game. We'll also talk to Greg Washinsky of ESPN. He covers the NHL, of course. We'll get his thoughts on the North Division as a whole. Connor McDavid, how good can he be? How far can the Oilers go in the playoffs? Of course, the NHL does return to ESPN, so that's good news for him. And he'll also share a story about Tim Peel, of course, the NHL referee who had his mic left on said he wanted to give a penalty to the Nashville Predators, and then lost his job. The NHL making that announcement on a Wednesday that he would not be refereeing games in the NHL anymore. So good on the NHL for going out there and handling their business, but let's not give them too much credit. He was planning to retire at the end of the month anyways, so it really was kind of just an easy decision for them to make. But we'll talk to Greg Wyshynski of ESPN about that later on here in the podcast. But we're going to start things off talking about the Edmonton Oilers and What they've been up to the last few days, how has the break been, and can it be a positive? With Dean Millard, longtime TSN 1260 host, you also know him from Global Sports right now, crushing it on Podcast Alley. He's got the Cannabis 101 podcast, Tracking the Draft with Craig Button, also Fantasy Hockey Time. You can check him out at dot ca or give him a follow on Twitter at Duck Millard. My good friend Dean Millard joins us now. Dino, how are you doing today?
0: I am excellent, man. Uh... Loving to uh, talk a little hockey uh, with my good friend and uh, look outside and see grass growing and not snow.
3: (laughs) You know what? Like, for a long time, the only time we could get hockey in this summer was when the Oil Kings would go on an extended run. The Oilers just didn't seem to want to do it. They wanted to, you know, play their 82 games and wrap up, but. This year with the schedule and, you know, the way they're playing, things are looking different. So it's definitely a positive sign. And, of course, the Oilers with the week off because of what happened in Montreal, a couple positive tests it looks like. Was it just a matter of time, you think, before it happened in Canada?
0: Oh, yeah. Like, it's. I'm, I'm so surprised, Connor, that they've gone this far uh, without it. You know, there's there was tons of postponements uh, with... You know, Dallas, you know, for, for several reasons, they had a terrible snowstorm as well, but I am very surprised that it took this long uh, to happen in, uh, in the kind of the, the division. And, you know, I just, I, 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 it's such a, it's such a bit of a game of like Russian roulette with the, uh, the, this COVID going down and until we get so, so everybody vaccinated, I, I'm so surprised it didn't happen in the bubble last year, but I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for it to really have consequences with a team that is trying to make the playoffs you know there there are some teams out there that you know if their games don't get made up it's not a big deal for them but maybe the teams that they were supposed to be playing in those made-up games it's going to affect them in in the playoffs so I hope it doesn't happen anymore I hope that this is just the, the first of it um, you know, and you know, for the Oilers' sake, they you know they always say you just don't get enough practice time during the season. <laughs> well, this is this is you know Dave Tippett would rather have been playing those games, but the next best thing is he gets some time to really work with his team. You know, in the middle of the season, that's really rare.
3: Yeah, and I, I mean, I want to ask you because on the ten twelve sixty text line, there's half the people say this is bullshit. Like. You know, it's it's going to hurt them because they're they're going to have to go back into the schedule and they're going to be rusty. But on the flip side, a lot of people are more optimistic, saying, "Well, no, you get a chance to practice, you get a chance to heal up some injuries." Which side do you come out of it?
0: Uh, we're talking about practice. I'm <laughs> I'm all about the practice right now. I think, you know, this is a listen. Good teams can overcome rust. This is the only game thirty, what five or thirty four for them whatever it is, they will be able to overcome. They still have, you know, a 20-game stretch here where they can rev up for the playoffs. So I am all about the fact that they actually get some rest. It's almost like their bye week, uh, you know, from from last year where teams would have the, the week off or whatever. So it's almost like that for them. And then they get the chance to work on things, you know, special teams, whatever it is, an opportunity to really, really work on things and kind of just hang out as a team a little bit uh, as well, although that's uh, probably all they're they're ever hanging out with. So I'm okay with it. Uh, You know, I think that if you can't overcome a week off in the middle of the season, then you're probably not good enough in the first place.
3: Yeah. And I mean, I think you need to look back and going back to March 14th, the Maple Leafs have played three games. And yeah. two of those were the nineteenth and the twentieth. Then they had a four day stretch off. Then they got one game against the Senators. That was Thursday night. So, yeah, yeah, the Oilers have a lot of games off, but so do the Toronto Maple Leafs. So if you're going to use that as an excuse, it's kind of like just loser talk to me and built in excuses, which yeah, I mean, you know I I think I've been guilty of doing myself sometimes. So I shouldn't be too critical on them for that one. Uh, two games set against the Toronto Maple Leafs. We all know what happened when you go back a few weeks ago. That three game stretch and. It was just awful. Some of the worst hockey we've seen the Oilers play. On the flip side, speaking with people from Toronto, some of the best hockey they've played. What do you think the Edmonton Oilers need to do in these next two games that they didn't do in that last three-game stretch?
0: Well first of all I'll say some of the other teams we did post game shows for would argue that that team was actually really really good compared to their teams uh you know that that team that didn't that scored one goal at the Toronto Maple Leafs was really good compared to some of the teams we had to cover on late nights in February in that studio when it was minus 40 but um th- listen I I think you are I think that gets you know I I think it's blown out of proportion a little bit. They were awful. Yeah, you're right. You said it. So that's it. Just look at this as a brand-new stretch, and instead of looking back at that series and saying – what do we do wrong? Look, we did this and we did this. Why don't you just look back at what you're doing right now and saying, "Wow, we're we're playing some really good hockey. Not perfect hockey, and you know, there's there's moments, but much better than that. And let's just keep doing what they are doing. Um, you know, like if if the Oilers play really well. Like they have been, and the Leafs play really well, like they did then. Then we're just going to have great hockey. And you know, when when one team is playing, usually the other gets motivated. I don't know what happened to the Oilers in that stretch. Like it was, it was so bizarre that they just could not score and almost got shut out three times in a row by a different goalie. But you're I I. You know, go to Vegas with that bet that you're never going to see that again with this Oilers team. I mean, if anything, it might have been a good thing for them because it kind of maybe reminded them that they have to work really hard in this league, and they can't just get by on their points against Ottawa.
3: Oh, the you know, Ottawa like they, point. <laughs> they light up at Ottawa,
0: right? Everybody does except for the Calgary Flames, thanks to Eric Francis. So they light up Ottawa with all those points, and then they go up a good, against a good team, and it almost
3: has like a false sense of security. And you know what? Going into these games, like you said, like at least you played very good hockey since then. And you can look yeah. back and say, you know, we did a really good job against the Winnipeg Jets, who I've said it before on this podcast, I've said it on air. Like When you look at their lines one through four, I think that might be the best in the North Division. They've got a lot of depth up front, and when you were able to get a one goal lead on them, you shut them down. So now looking at the Toronto Maple Leafs, yes, they might have the higher end talent, but you've got to have that confidence that you can play kind of that shut down game going on the road. And I know the fans aren't there, but you still have to go up against the uh, the last change and everything like that. Go play a good road game, and you know you can almost just bank Connor McDavid going to put a couple in these days.
0: Yeah, no, no kidding. Um, you're, you're right. Like they, they have that confidence, and and it's interesting. Winnipeg and, and when you compare Winnipeg and Toronto, it's a, it's kind of a good comparison. I mean, Scheifele and Dubois as your one-two or you know center, and then Adam Lowry. You know, I don't know if there's a, a better third line center in in the NHL when it comes to you know the the skill that he has for such a big, huge, tough guy. You know, that there there is a. There's a kind of a thought process that, you know, the Oilers have the best center depth in the North Division because they have the two best players. And I would agree with that. But when I look at Winnipeg one, two, three down the middle, I think Lowry is a much better uh centerman than anybody the Oilers are throwing in at number three. And Shifley and Dubois are closer to McDavid and Drysidle than that third line center is. So maybe it's a bit of a wash, but Toronto is like the Ferrari of of you know, on the top line of everything. So it's it's an interesting Sort of a dynamic where the the Jets are just it's like oh I got, I got Shifley. oh now I got to face Dubois oh I got to now face uh, Lowry and it's hard hard minutes where you're facing the Leafs and it's instead of those hard minutes it's it's hard minutes because you're facing all that skill so I I I think that I think that both of those teams offer, like, all kinds of challenges. And then the Oilers have their own, right? Like, you know, you have a lot of sc- offense coming from the blue line with the Edmonton Oilers. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, I think that uh, well, probably not – uh overall top six player for player the skill is not even when it comes to the oilers in the least but the oilers have the two best players in that series and i think the two best players in the league starting edmonton right now with dry and mcdavid as far as offensive production not all around but offensive production so it's really interesting when you match up all those three teams together
3: in the last little while have you seen growth from those top two guys mcdavid dry settle in their defensive efforts
0: I think so. Yeah, I think in their uh um you know the 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 uh, statistics are still being thrown out there about, you know, where dry title sits among different stats and you know, I I, I I can I can tell you that in the past, yeah, he was not the greatest defensive player. Um, you know people wanna use the term lazy. I don't think any NHL player is uh inherently lazy, but some you know, work a little harder than others, I, I think you could say. I don't think you can get to any... I don't think, Connor, you can get to any professional sport of the top four by being lazy. Like, I think that just, you know, there's there's varying terms of that. But the Oilers were criticized for, for their uh, turnovers. You know, we've talked about the amazing passes that Leon Dreisaitl makes. And we've also talk, talked about the amazing turnovers that Leon Dreisaitl has uh, created in the past. And, you know, he's a big, strong guy. He can really, really be a defensive force if he wants to. And I have started to see, um, I think, a little bit more of a bear down and things like that from both of those guys. And, you know, I think it was Cassie Campbell that told the story of, you know, one time they, they picked Leon Drysaddle to be the one-time guy on the power play. And then the next day, Connor McDavid was out there working on his one-timer because he wants <laughs> to be the best at that. And, you know, the, the kind of the challenge in the offseason by a lot of people was thrown out to these guys to be better defensively. And you know, I still think they were pretty, you know, awesome. It was defense defensive mistakes cost them in that bubble. It wasn't offensive play. It was defensive mistakes by everybody. And I think both of these two players took that to heart in the offseason and have come in and, and, and put a focus on that and, you know, obviously not um, sacrificing their offensive game. Jesus, McDavid's already over a point a game for the season and there's, there's still 20 plus games left in the season. So they're not sacrificing the offense. But I do see gains in their defensive game. They're not not—they're not going to be eligible for the Selkie, I don't think, uh, this year. But I, I could see Dreisaitl working on his game with how strong he is. And, and, you know, at some point getting some Selkie discussion. He's going to really work a lot harder. Uh, to become into into that discussion, but he has the the all the tools, the size, thinks the game well uh if he if he if he does that you know i, I don 't think Steve Iserman ever thought in like nineteen eighty four 85, 86 that he was going to be such a great defensive player either so there's hope for those guys, and I do think that they 've been better,
3: yeah, and you know you, you just talk about like how good Leon Dryse could be defensively. You know, there's times where he looks great out there when he gets on his horse and gets back and and makes some really good plays. But t- to me, there's nothing he can't do because when he first came in the NHL, I think there was some criticism of his skating from year one to year two. Like he he must have been working on that in the off season because he became a very good skater. And then there was some question about his finishing ability. Maybe he's a setup guy. Well, then he goes out and scores 50 goals. It seems like if there's Anything he wants to do, he'll put his mind to it and he'll find a way to get it done. So I, I, I agree 100%. Like I think he can add that to his game and get it even better, but I think the effort has been there and obviously probably tip it in the coaching staff just pounding it into their heads. Like you gotta do this. We need this to win. Putting up points is great, but you're not going to win games without playing defense. So it has been good to see uh, something you know very well, Dino, you know, goaltending. Mike Smith, been a lot better as of late. Is there anything you've noticed in his game, or do you think it's a byproduct of the team playing better defensively in front of him?
0: Yeah, I I think that's, you know, and and, and getting some breaks and just making some spectacular saves. He's also made some pretty big mistakes, but he's been able to recover from them. And listen, Mike Smith is is what you see is what you get. And and sometimes – like in the first game of that bubble playoff last year, you just get the bad Mike Smith. Um, You know, he, he just fights the puck, but he's not doing that right now. I don't see a kind of a change or anything in his style, but I think it's, it's, you know, the, the play in front of him, as you mentioned, being a little bit better. Um, You know, Mike, that's what Mike Smith is. Uh, You're going to get a good you know, a really, really strong second effort to, to make saves. Um, But he can, you know, ride uh ride the rail in the wrong way at times as well so um a product of the uh the, the team in front of him i'd say more than anything of him changing his style but he he can also get red hot and you know we've seen that and we're kind of seeing a little bit of it right now uh so you know you're you you hope that you get the good and unfortunately last year in the bubble they didn't uh, but but right now they are and, and you know if you're I, I still don't know. I still, I'm not a big believer in either of these goaltenders that they'll be able to take this team that far. So we'll we'll see kind of what happens uh, down the stretch. But you know, I think they, that that this goaltending is probably good enough to win around, or should be good enough to win around. Um, but but we'll see about that. But you know, just going back to Dryside a little bit, yeah. I think that guy has one of the most underrated one-timers in the league. Like he gets down so low and and just wires it in there and. You know, it's, it's it's underrated because Line A and Ovechkin and, and different guys kind of get the attention. But Dry, Drysettle needs to get more attention for that one-timer on, on the power play. And the other thing that he's really good at and has been since his days in Prince Albert is face-offs, right? So if you want to be a really strong defensive center uh, or, you know, to be considered a the defensive center with – tons of offensive potential like a Patrice Bergeron, you got to start with a puck, and, and that's the, the one thing that he does really well right now. So all those other things are coming into his game for him to be that really, really potential great all-around player.
3: The uh, the goal he scored against Winnipeg, I think to get him the 3-2 lead, it was coming down 2-on-1 uh, with Mick David. I mean, as a goalie, I don't think there's a scarier thing you could see right now in the NHL, Like, because Mick David, 21 goals tied for the league lead, Leon Draisaitl, 50 goal scorer. I mean, you, you're a goalie. That that's got to be terrifying.
0: Yeah, that's Gretzky, Curry from you know the 80s, right? Like yeah. you're, you know what you, you're the, the greatest player in the game is either going to undress you or he's going to make a sick feed over to a pure sniper. You know so. If you're a goalie, you just you want them just to do what they did in the first Mighty Ducks movie. You just tie your legs and hands off to the post and hope it hits you.
3: Ah, good reference. I like that. Dean Millar joining us here on the Other Connor podcast, host of the Cannabis One Hundred One podcast, tracking the draft with Craig Button, Fantasy Hockey Time podcast. Alley dot ca for all your podcast needs. Dino last question for you here: the trade deadline quickly approaching in the NHL. Do you think the Oilers make any moves?
0: Um. I just, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's so hard because of their, uh, the, the cat, you know, I guess, I guess if Ken Holland can do a money in money out move, um, it's a possibility. I just think it's going to be really tough. And, and the border situation too. I, I did, I thought I did read that the NHL was, uh, going to have, or the, the government was going to shorten the quarantine to seven days mm-hmm. instead of 14. I don't, again, I don't know if that's official. I just, saw it on twitter so maybe it's a rumor that's out there but there's also that you know who are you trading with ottawa well that's the only team that's out of it that, that considers it calgary made a coaching change they think they can rally i don't know what vancouver is doing so your trading partners where you don't have to cross a border are so limited i think it's going to be pretty hard for ken holland to do anything and then there's the cap situation so I don't know. It's it's frustrating because, you know, maybe this is the year, right? You just never know. But can you get that player in time? You know, if you're making a deal with a team in the States, you should be doing it now.
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, but ideally, I mean, if you could have got a deal done on this past weekend, you would have been laughing. <laughs> no games right. in five days. And you're right. The uh, The government is expected to approve a seven-day quarantine for NHL yeah. players from American That'll teams help. to Canadian teams. So that's going to help out a lot
0: that would help, but it's still risky. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just can't see, I just don't see a lot of flexibility unless I, you know, it has to be a dollar in dollar out. Like last night, the people that, that are talking about trading for Taylor Hall, I would, I would take Taylor Hall back on this team in a heartbeat. Are you kidding me? You put Taylor Hall in this uh, second line or something like that. I think that'd be great. But you know, what, what the Buffalo is going to want to cash in big time on, on Taylor Hall, hopefully. So um you know you're going to have to find some money to move out uh, to to buffalo to to make that deal work so i just I, I i don't know maybe there's a small move here uh from ottawa like ottawa is gonna, people are going to try and pick them apart right cuz all the canadian teams will be circling so nobody has to cross the border but i just think the uh the the circumstances surrounding it is going to make things incredibly tough for ken Holland. i'd love to be wrong i'd love to see them bring in some sort of piece of uh of the puzzle but it's going to be pretty tough i think
3: Would you, would you say they're in a position to give away some of their young prospects to do it or maybe right now are you thinking let's see what we have in these prospects and, and just go forward with what we got?
0: Well, it depends on which prospects you're talking about um you know i like who, who are, you, are you talking about like a broberg or or uh, some of those guys Jeez. that aren't here yet Or are you talking about some of the guys that you know are here and in, in like the you know, the Jones and the well I guess those guys aren't really prospects anymore like it depends on who you're talking about, I guess I would say
3: like for me for the right player, I think the guys that are here would be willing to move the untouchables I think for me are Dylan Holloway. Uh, Philip Broberg, that might be it. You know, like uh, those guys, I, I would hope are with the organization in the next couple of years and can be big time players. But other than that, I, I don't think there's anyone else I really have an issue with trading. I'd like to keep Bouchard, Ethan Bear. Ooh, no, I don't think I trade Bouchard. Yeah, I think Bouchard's so, safe as well.
0: Yeah, uh, see, I see. I guess so. Um, I, 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 I like to see. I would really like to see how this kind of group that's been in Bakersfield for a little bit comes up uh, at, at times and you know, I, I certainly I don't think I'm trading Philip Broberg and I'm not trading Evan Bouchard um, and, and you don't even know exactly what you have in Dylan Holloway so I, I probably wouldn't do that. I guess it depends on the deal, right? Like if you are getting a bonafide piece that's going to put you over the top I might look at Dylan Holloway if he has to be a piece in that puzzle. You know, he's, he's, uh, you know, obviously having a great career now, but he's not helping you now. Who knows? It's always hindsight when you, when you look back at some of these deadline deals like Martin Erat for Philip Forsberg, uh, you know, that one always comes up. So you never want to be in that kind of those top 10 lists. Right. But I, I, the guys I wouldn't trade were probably Bouchard and Broberg. And, and, I, and, and I, I would put Holloway in the in the deal if uh, if it made sense. But those two guys on the blue line, I definitely would be holding on to. And I like to see those guys come up. But if the right player came along and it didn't involve those two guys that I mentioned, I'd probably pull the trigger.
3: You know, I love it. Thanks a lot for doing this. Really appreciate it. And we'll have to get you on again down the road, uh, maybe closer to the playoffs, see what's happening with these Oilers. Sounds good, my friend. Anytime. Excellent stuff from Dean Millard, Podcast Alley is where you can find him, PodcastAlley.ca. I should say he's got the Cannabis 101 podcast, Tracking the Draft with Craig Button of TSN, as well as Fantasy Hockey Time, and make sure you give him a follow on Twitter, at Millard. Always appreciate Dino hopping on the other Connor podcast with me, and uh yeah, some good Oilers talk right there. He's okay with bringing back Taylor Hall. I know there's a few people out there in oil country that aren't a fan of that move. But hey, let me know. At Connor Howley on Twitter, let me know what you think. I want to try and get the vibe of Oilers fans on that one. Of course, the Edmonton Oilers, with the week off, they're back in action on Saturday taking on the Toronto Maple Leafs. We will talk to Josh Clipperton of the Canadian Press later on here on this show to get his thoughts on the Maple Leafs. He, of course, covers them for the CP. But right now, we're going to bring in ESPN's Greg Wyshynski, covers the NH. Chell. You can also give him a follow on Twitter, at Wyshynski. Greg, thanks a lot for doing this today. How are you doing?
2: Doing great. Um, it's been a, a, a fun and interesting week, a bit of a, of a trip down memory lane as well with all the Tim Peel stuff, <laughs> but it's been
0: a fun time.
3: Well, I think i got to start start off with that. I mean, and I want to ask you about the North Division. That was kind of the whole reason we got you on here, but Tim Peel just stealing the headlines with the hot mic, and uh, as someone who works on radio, I, I know all about that. I have nightmares that I might leave a host mic on <laughs> one time, so that one hit a little too close to home but what did you think of the nhl's reaction to it
0: oh it was
2: harsh i mean you know essentially tim Peel said the quiet part out loud as far as (laughs) what this this league does uh insofar as instructing its officials to manage the game a certain way um for me there's like three different kinds of game management there's the kind you see at the end of the game in an overtime where they just don't call anything uh, or else they'll get uh, scolded by coaches and players for trying to uh, heavily influenced the game. Uh, then you see the game management in which teams get calls evened up during the course of the game. That's pretty commonplace in the NHL. Doesn't exist in other sports, but very NHL-centric. And then you see what he did in that Nashville-Detroit game, which is kind of arbitrarily call a penalty for no reason other than it seemed like the thing to do, um, which is the worst kind of game management, and the kind of game management that really makes the NHL look horrible. And, uh, and doesn't uh, speak well of their officials either. So, um, you know, I've seen a lot of calls about changing the system and shifting the paradigm and all this stuff. I, I don't think any of that's really going to come to fruition, but if it did, it would be more about the kinds of calls in that third category we just talked about that I'd like to see uh, eliminated from the league versus the other kinds of game management that I think we're just never going to get rid of because everybody kind of likes it.
3: So Tim Peel is a month away from retirement anyway, so it was pretty easy for the NHL to make this decision. I'm going to throw a scenario at you. Let's say it's a 29-year-old referee with a, a long career ahead of him. Do you think the NHL reacts the same?
2: Um, Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, in, Maybe not in the sense that, like, you know, it is a different guy. Peel has had a checkered career in the National Hockey League not only is foibles with me, but but also not exactly the most respected guy publicly. He's a pretty easy guy to you know to, to throw out there as as a scapegoat um, in a situation like this. And then obviously, like you said, the retirement aspect of it is undeniable. But he, it, may, it may still have been the hammer coming down on somebody as long as that somebody isn't say like Wes McCauley, um, because the gambling aspect of this decision can't be understated the league is trying to create a new market for itself in having sports wagerers come and bet on hockey and it's a precarious mission because there aren't a lot of people that bet on hockey uh, hockey doesn't have the same kind of scoring effects that other teams do uh, or other games do rather to attract uh bettors in the same way so they're doing everything they can to attract that audience and if there's any inkling of things not being on the up and up, of of games being predetermined, of of the officials kind of going into business for themselves, uh, it's gonna it's gonna repel people from wanting to wager on your sport. So at this time with this happening, I think it's undeniable that the uh, multi billion dollar elephant in the room uh, also probably influenced the decision too.
3: Greg Wisniewski, senior NHL writer with ESPN, joining us here on the Other Connor podcast. Uh, Greg, I want to ask you about the North Division, and uh, you know we've seen. Up here from uh, maybe uh, the major networks to how some people look at this division, thinking that it you know might be a one horse race and there's no real team like a Tampa Bay or anything like that. Uh, what is your perspective on the North division as a whole?
2: It's been fun to see the roller coaster effect in that division and then also see the pressure cooker effect in that division where you know we've seen two coaching changes uh, in that division. Uh, because of the ebbs and flows and success of the Montreal Canadiens and Calgary Flames. You know, I am astounded by Winnipeg being where they are in the standings. Um, I think that Paul Maurice has done a really good job there. Uh, I still look at that blue line and and marvel at the fact that they are uh, on the plus side of goal differential, um, which might speak more to their offense than anything else. And uh, to have them be within a reasonable distance of first place in Toronto was something I did not anticipate this deep into the season. The Leafs, obviously, the Leafs, I, I think, at, at full capacity and at the height of their powers, they can be in the conversation, maybe not with Tampa and Colorado and Vegas, but definitely with teams like the Boston Bruins and that, maybe that next tier down of cup contenders. Um, and then, you know, the Leon, the Leon and Connor show continue to do what they do. And uh, and it's going to be it's been fun to see uh, Montreal kind of uh, find their footing again a little bit as a, as a playoff team because that was exciting early on this season before they cratered and Julia and Juliana had to pay for it. So it's uh, it's going to be you know intriguing I think to see how the top teams jockey for position, but barring something unforeseen from Vancouver, Calgary, or Ottawa, it looks like we might have our four right now in, as far as the playoffs go.
3: Yeah, and, and I would agree with you. I was going to actually ask if there's any of those teams in the bottom four now that you think can per- perhaps take a run, or who would be the most likely to?
1: It, it has
2: to be Calgary, only because Ottawa stinks and <laughs> the numbers game doesn't work for Vancouver, and plus now they're dealing with a myriad of injuries as well. I, you know, They, they had a, a brief moment of life uh, when Thatcher Demko caught fire recently, and uh, who's to say that can't continue to happen? But if you look at at the, at the last three teams in this division, I mean, the only one that has some of the numbers in their favor, and you know, if if Jacob Markstrom can you know be healthy for a good stretch and kind of find his form from last season, uh, that's a team that maybe could make the push under a, a new coach. But it's still asking a lot because they're they're just they just look like a, a team that really needs to kind of. Um uh, renovate let's call it in the off season uh, because this is now a couple of years running where they've just not been able to to, to look like a, a team that's going to contend
3: now, Greg, one of the things a lot of people up here are critical of is the NHL's ability to market their superstars and uh, really get them out there from your perspective, where you are I mean, is Connor McDavid known as a global superstar is he is he a big name in the United States compared to what he might be known as up in Canada?
2: Well, I'm happy to report he will be within the next seven years, uh, thanks to uh, us getting the rights. I was going to say, I was going to say <laughs> no, that's right. going to help. I mean, listen. I mean, but but it, it all joking aside, I mean, you know, the the prominence and growth of, of players like Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews and Nathan McKinnon and others in this league um, is one of the reasons why the NHL was an attractive property for ESPN. Uh, specifically, looking at how what they do on the ice in the current state of the game can translate to attracting more of a younger audience to the game. So, you know, McDavid does play a role in, in, in what I think we're going to look to do for the next, like, seven seven years of this deal. But, you know, as far as name recognition goes, here's where I think Connor McDavid is in the U.S. Obviously, every hockey fan knows his name. I think the hardcore sports fan who may have a tangential appreciation of hockey knows his name because undoubtedly they've seen his highlights on Sports Center and other places. Um and they know him as sort of like the next good hockey player uh after the age of Ovechkin and Crosby has ended. Um but I don't think he's quite he quite has that same level of recognition that Crosby and Ovechkin had at this point in their careers. Uh, And that might have to do with, you know, the Edmonton factor here in the U.S. Um, That might also have to do with the fact that he's not been on the biggest stages of the season with their inability to, you know, play for the Stanley Cup yet. So um, there's a lot of factors, but I think clearly, um, you know, if conditions change as far as Edmonton being a contender. And then with a uh, a new media partner recognizing that you have this once-in-a-lifetime talent when it comes to uh, offensive abilities. I think it, it, it's only going to become uh, a, a wider and wider uh, acceptance of McDavid as a as a global superstar.
3: I was down at a uh, L.A. Well, sorry, a San Diego Chargers game back in the day, and just randomly was talking to a couple fans, asking where I'm from. Obviously, uh, wearing shorts in December threw a couple people off guard, and they, you know they had some <laughs> questions for me. So I, I mentioned Edmonton. They had never heard of it, so I said, "Well, have you heard of Wayne Gretzky?" And immediately it clicked. Oh, that Edmonton! Like, yeah, we know that. I'm not. I don't think Connor McDavid will ever get to that level. I mean, you're going to have to win a few Stanley Cups before you get to that and, uh, just lead the league in points for a decade, you know. But, uh, I, I've always just been kind of curious about that. Like, how, how is he known outside of our country? Because up here, he's huge. Obviously, he's got the national deals. But w- when it comes to, you know, the global landscape and, and sports in the United States, I'm, sure, hockey's, you know, fourth, right?
2: Right. And I think, I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, uh, a quintessential Gen Xer, you know. So I, I I remember the 80s and I remember Gretzky, um, but I grew up in New Jersey and at the time the NHL was on uh, sports channel had the rights in in the US and uh we would never see the Western Conference <laughs> like, ever. We we would see the Western Conference when they came and played the Devils or the Rangers or the Islanders, but there was never really a, a the same sort of national Approach to the NHL that we have now uh, in the television packages. So, so Wayne Gretzky was a name that we knew, uh, but it wasn't someone who we were all that familiar with as a player because we would only see highlights of him here and there. Obviously, the the world has changed now from a from a media perspective when it comes to McDavid, Matthews, and players like that. I do think a player that does play in Edmonton uh, can can be someone that is recognized around the globe. Um, And they don't have to necessarily have all of Gretzky's records. I I think it's become more accessible to watch these games. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, as we we talk about, like, the current format of the divisions and the schedule and and maybe what they're going to end up doing going forward in this league – I'm okay with the idea of teams in each conference only playing each other once in an interconference format and there being more games within your division and within your conference because I don't think it is necessarily as important as it used to be to have to to make sure McDavid, you know, comes and plays all three New York teams or make sure that Dick Crosby comes to play in Vancouver every season. Like I think because of the availability of watching these games on your phone or on your television or on your refrigerator that we really don't have to worry about that being the access point to appreciating these players anymore.
3: I just have to ask quickly, uh, being a Devils fan growing up, I know Gretzky called the organization uh, a Mickey Mouse organization. Was he public enemy number one for a while, or did that just kind of go by the wayside?
2: Well, I think think when he would come to town, he'd be reminded of it. Um, but, you know, I, I think there was also the, the acknowledgement. I, my, my first recognition as a Devils fan was 88 when they first made the playoffs, and that's probably when I first got into hockey at a, a watching-the-games-every-night sort of basis as a fan, um, and so that was the first time they had ever made the playoffs uh, in franchise history going back to, I think, Kansas City and Colorado as well. Um, so, you know, at that point, uh, they were bad. I think there was an acknowledgement that they were bad and that Gretzky was just kind of you know, speaking the truth. Um, he took it on the chin for a little bit, but I think um, when your overall um, uh, the ire and hatred is, is, is more focused on the Rangers and the Flyers and the Islanders and the Capitals, um, it's not necessarily like top of mind at all times that Gretzky once called your team a Mickey Mouse organization.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's totally fair, Uh Greg. Just a couple more questions for you. Really appreciate you doing this today. Um, just with the Oilers, I mean, looking at their goaltending, Mike Smith right now playing some good hockey. Uh, we saw Miko Kostka and look okay in his last start against the Jets. They do have Alex Staylock. How far can their goaltending take them into the playoffs?
2: That's a good question. I mean, I, I, and I think the answer to that is. Is how far Mike Smith can take him. You know, I mean, I, I think, like most people, I was skeptical of, of his return. Um, it did strike you as being a little bit of nepotism, maybe, in the sense that he's got this relationship with Dave Tippett and, and just seems tied at the hip with the guy. But, I mean, he's out kicking his coverage. I mean, he, he's been a better goalie than Costco in this season, which I don't think a lot of us anticipated um you know if you check the the analytics i was looking at it the other day i think he's above 6 in uh, in goal saved above replacement right now um which is which is pretty good uh so uh, you know i i i, I, I it, it, it it pains me to put all the edmonton eggs in mike smith mike smith's basket because i think he will eventually drop it um but uh but he's definitely you know been been better than than i think a lot of us thought he'd be um, but again, I think I think what it comes down to for Edmonton is uh, you know outscoring the competition first of all, but also playing a better uh, team defensive concept in front of their goaltending. And you know to, to circle back to McDavid for a second, I mean I think one of the big stories of this season has been how good he's been defensively, and and, and how he is reaching that that moment in his career that we all anticipated of. of uh, becoming that, um, kind of Crosby-esque player that isn't simply just putting up incredible offensive numbers, but is playing, um, really well in all ends of the ice.
3: Yeah, both he and Leon Dryside are really finding their defensive game and both really entering the prime of their careers. So Oilers fans, plenty of reasons to be optimistic with those two going forward and hoping we can just build around them and get that success going. Greg, you teased it a little bit. ESPN coming back with the NHL going to be a, what did you say, a seven-year deal? Is that, that how long it's going to be?
2: We got a seven-year deal. We are the primary rights holder here in the U.S., which was a bit of a surprise. Um, also, a surprise was uh, all of the NHL TV pay-per-view stuff is now going to be on ESPN Plus, um, which will really bolster that service. So, yeah, I mean, it, like I, it, it's been a roller coaster for us. Uh, um, you know, there were times when it looked like we were definitely getting the rights, and there were times when things got a little bit quieter. Uh, but to, to to have a piece of the package and now to be the primary rights holder in the U.S. is is really really cool and. Um, you know as as I've said to many people like it's cool for me um, it's cool for Emily Kaplan but we're both super happy for Linda Cohn and John Bouchergras and Barry Melrose and Steve Levy and a lot of the names that uh, folks in Canada probably know from ESPN's coverage back in the day uh, that have been with the network for as long as they have and and have been waiting for this moment to happen and, and now get to you know play in that sandbox with a a full rights package is just going to be super fun.
3: So what can we expect? I mean, and, and I think we're all hoping more of you and Emily Kaplan because you guys both do such outstanding work.
2: Well, that'd be great. <laughs> uh, you know, let's let's start with maybe we get our podcast back at some point. Well, that'll be the baseline. Um, no, I I think what you're going to see is is you know uh, you just you know in in the brief discussions I've had with people, I'm obviously way down the food chain when it comes to the actual you know execution of these things. But yeah, I think you're going to see more of a digital presence, um, a lot more um, interactivity and, and programming um, on on ESC and, Plus and and all of our different digital arms. Uh, and I do think that you're going to see a number of really fun people join the family. I mean, you know, look, we we have a, a strong, robust, and dedicated group of, of hockey lovers here, um, but we need to build out our studio shows and our broadcast teams and everything else. And, you know, I'm really excited uh, to, to see what that approach looks like. I can tell you that, you know, from, from just how other sports have been staffed and just knowing what happens in Bristol from being there for four years now, I think it's going to be... Um, a really diverse and uh, an interesting group of people that we bring aboard uh, to to try to you know bring this game and, and translate this game uh, for audiences that maybe it's not quite reached here in the U.S.
3: Oh, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be awesome. And just one more before you go on your uh, latest Puck Soup podcast, you tease a story with the infamous tequila drinking night with Tim Peel. Can you give us a little hint at that and and what people might want to tune into Puck Soup oh. and get more of?
2: Oh yeah, I mean it, it's it's pretty it's pretty well known. I mean, uh, uh, he actually got suspended from working a, a game in New Jersey uh, because he and I had a summit uh, at Foley's Sports Bar in New York City uh, where he he wanted to meet me because uh, I was such a, a vicious critic of him being a real uh, terrible referee, which he, he is um, right through the end. And uh, and so he wanted to meet me and and kind of hash things out and have a better understanding. And so we met at the sports bar and and talked for, you know, several, a few hours. And, uh, you know, I learned a bit more about why he did the things he did. Uh, I learned, uh, you know, maybe some of the things that did, in the that he made were league uh, mandates, like we saw in the Nashville game versus his own bad decision-making. Um, and then, uh, you know, at the end of the night, he, he wanted to uh, take a photo of us uh, doing a tequila shot together uh, and then wanted me to put it on social media uh, to show that we had had this summit. And, and so I obliged in, in both cases. And then the next day he received word from the NHL that he had been suspended <laughs> for for uh, for doing all of this, um, which was uh, really funny. And then, uh, you know, I, the story I wrote about today in the column uh, ESPN.com, and I think I mentioned it on, on PuckSoup too, is uh, Colin Campbell, the VP of hockey operations for the NHL, uh, cornered me at the outdoor game in Santa Clara um, some weeks later, to uh, convince that I had put Peel up to this, convinced that I was the evil blogger that made him do tequila shots and uh, then, you know, nefariously put the photo on on Twitter. And he's like, you're telling me that uh, Tim Peel posed for this photo and and then he he asked you to put it online? And and like I said to Colin, I'm like, sir, are you familiar with tequila? you know <laughs> decision making not not top of the mind at that point in the night for uh, for old Timmy Peel but uh, but yeah it was it was it was uh, in a in a in a weird re- weird and wild career for your boy uh, that was definitely one of the weirdest and wildest uh, moments for sure
3: oh that is awesome greg thanks so much for doing this again i really do appreciate it anytime thanks for having me great stuff from greg waschinski senior nhl writer with espn also the puck soup podcast You can check that out as well. Give him a follow on Twitter at Wyszynski, drinking tequila with an NHL referee. I love that story. I think that's absolutely hilarious. And I think more problems should be settled that way over a couple shots of tequila at a sports bar. Really appreciate Greg uh, making some time to join me here on the Other Connor podcast. And uh, like I said, check out his work at ESPN. He does great work. He alongside Emily Kaplan as well, both crushing it for ESPN and the NHL. Let's wrap up today's podcast talking about those Toronto Maple Leafs, a team that caused all sorts of problems for the Edmonton Oilers in late February, early March. Of course, the Oilers set to take them on once again, a two-game series, first Saturday and then Monday. We bring in now Josh Clipperton. He covers the Toronto Maple Leafs for the Canadian press. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter as well, at J Clipperton underscore CP. Josh, thanks a lot for doing this today. How are you doing?
1: Good, man. Thanks for having me.
3: Ah, not a problem. Glad we could get you on here. And, uh, we're going to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs, but I'm, I'm just genuinely curious, uh, from last year to this year, how much has changed for you as a beat writer for an NHL franchise?
1: Yeah, no, it's definitely changed a lot. I mean, we're not traveling. I uh, would travel during the playoffs for sure, uh, usually. Uh, I'm sure that's, you know, that's up in the air right now. We don't know what the playoffs are going to look like, but, Lots and lots of Zoom calls, lots and lots of uh, waiting and, uh, you know, testing when we get into the, into the rink here in Toronto. They have rapid testing, uh, distance press boxes. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely a different field, but we're all uh, very fortunate to be working. There's a lot of people that don't have jobs right now, and we're very fortunate to be able to watch hockey.
3: So we've had a few instances here where players might get a little uh... Short-tempered, I'll say, with the media because of these Zoom calls. Obviously, just different from guys, you know, going face to face, having these conversations where it's easier to jump in and you know, kind of reiterate your point. Has there been any cases like that with the leaves in the media where it's just not the same?
1: Uh, not nothing, nothing there. I would say that anyone who got angry or upset, but it's, it's just definitely not the same. And you know, sometimes you might want to have a follow-up question, but you've been muted. Uh, and just because there's a lot of people in the queue or you know there's a question that deserves a follow-up but someone else is working on something completely different and then it totally changes the you know the the way the conversation is going and then if you want to get back in the queue it's kind of hard to go back on that point so I mean I'm sure you've been in scrums before you know scrums have a kind of energy and they get on a roll sometimes and and it's very different you don't get the same kind of answers and and another thing is you know with zoom everybody gets everything you don't get any one-on-ones, really. I mean, you can try to set them up, but, they're, you know, it's difficult. You have to go through the PR of a team, whereas normally you would just, you know, get a guy off to the side quietly in the locker room after a scrum and, you know, just for 30 seconds or a minute on, on whatever topic, of you know, you want to write about. And that's just not really feasible these days. So there's no secrets. Everything's sort of out there. So that's that's sort of where... Where for us it's been different, and then you know, and then the readers and the viewers, uh, it's different as well because you know you see something on one channel, you know, it's, you're probably going to see the same quote in the paper, the same quote on the on a website, so uh, it's different. But uh, you know, we'll get through it, and uh, we've been assured that it'll go back to the way it was uh, when this is all done.
3: Absolutely. Now, Josh, let's get to the Maple Leafs. Uh, it's been a while since the two teams have met, going back to March 3rd, where the Leafs just, you know, they they kicked the Oilers' ass. There's really no other way to say it. Uh, since then, though, how's it been for the Leafs?
1: Yeah, well, obviously it's been a, it's been a rough ride. You know, they <laughs> I don't know if they were reading their own headlines. There's always going to be some kind of uh, you know, regression after the Oilers series. I mean, like that was just complete domination, as I'm sure you and the listeners know and remember. You know, it was a uh, you know, hand that leaves the North Division, and what's wrong with the Oilers? And uh, you know, life life moves fast, and it moves even faster in hockey. You know, the Leafs have struggled. They didn't play poorly in Vancouver right after the Oilers series, and they played okay as well against the. Uh, Against the Jets for two of those three games, you know, Hellebuck was just stood on his head, and uh, and then uh, you know they played very poorly uh one night, uh, the, the third game against the uh, against the Jets, and then obviously just uh, very uh, you know bad goaltending and everything sort of went on, you know went downhill from there when they played the Senators uh, following. So you know they were they were very disappointed with those two games. Um, you know sometimes in hockey is you know you just get beaten by a better goalie, and, and that's what happened with uh, Thatcher Demko in Vancouver and. And uh, Connor Hellebuck in, with Winnipeg, uh, you know the team wasn't at the same level as that it was in uh, Edmonton. But you know, on another night, maybe with a different goalie, they they pick up a couple more wins. But, You know, they were uh, they got they got it back on track against the Flames, who are obviously obviously struggling. Um, but it was a good performance, and you know, getting Jack Campbell back uh, and healthy is, is good, especially with Anderson now uh, now out again. So, you know, they'll be looking to uh, to keep it going here.
3: Would you say that three-game stretch against the Oilers was their best hockey of the year? And if so, I mean, what what did they do to just step their game up so much?
1: Yeah, no, it was definitely. I mean, if I, I remember afterwards, one of the games, Sheldon Keith was basically like, everything came up leaps. Like, you know, <laughs> I mean, they played well. The Oilers obviously, like, they had stretches in those games if you remember where the Oilers were fine. You know, the Leafs just kind of got ahead. And then it was, and then it was, you know, they, they just couldn't stop the bleeding. And when the Leafs are playing well, their gaps are really small. You know, they're 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 getting in McDavid's way. Like that was that's what struck out to most people and to myself as well about that series was, was how Connor just couldn't get speed through the neutral zone and the, the Leafs are just so tight to him. And and uh, you know that's something that this team has been looking to do. I shore things up defensively. There's there's no question about their offensive pedigree. You know, the Leafs and the can trade goals with the best of them, but it's keeping the puck out of the net and you know both teams have figured it out uh to a large extent this year and uh and the Leafs certainly showed what they're capable of in, in that in that one series you now like anything it's can you do it over and over again and that's what they're looking to do and, and consistency is something that this team is, is still striving for it's something they talked about all off season after their uh, their bubble disappointment against Columbus and uh you know they're still trying to find that elusive consistency and uh, you know they're going to have to they're going to need it uh, down the stretch because you know there's there's every game is tough in this division
3: now there's a lot of teams in the north division that really can't match up to the oilers top end talent but the toronto maple leafs aren't one of them do you think that going into those games some guys on the leafs and maybe it's the the offensive players maybe it's the guys counted on to shut down the oilers top players just kind of get up for those games
1: yeah, no, I'm sure there's definitely an element of that. I mean, when you're playing the best, you're you're definitely going to, uh, you know, you definitely want to show your best. And and I think I think uh, you know that was a real challenge. If you remember going into that series, there was a lot of talk about you know if the Oilers win three games in regulation, they're going to you know take over first. So I'm sure the Leafs uh, were, were were plenty motivated. <laughs> and uh, you know we know how things have gone since the Oilers are right are right back right back uh, in the conversation along with the Jets. But you know I, I definitely think that there's uh, an added Element. Whenever you're playing a good team, it's like anything. You know, you want to you want to go up against someone who's, uh, who's who's at the top of their game. You want to you want to show well, and, and I'm, I'm sure that was that was part of it. They they take a lot of real pride in it, especially you know, the way the Leafs uh, have defended in years past. It was a it was a real uh, sort of high water mark for them. Now it's, as I mentioned before, it's about getting back to that level consistently.
3: I believe four days off for the Maple Leafs before their matchup against the Ottawa Senators on Thursday night. Do you think there was any area of focus that they were maybe uh, working on during that little time off?
1: Yeah, well, actually, they've—they this will be this will be only their—they've their, uh, probably had two games in the last ten days because they had a break before their their little two-game series with uh, with the Flames. So yeah, and, and not to harp it back on uh, on uh, consistency, but uh, you know, Sheldon Keith this week has talked about it. They, they, there's nothing that they really want to zero in on, or at least they're not saying publicly but what they do want to do is uh is just consistency across the board whether it's defensively whether it's effort whether it's you know uh neutral zone play whether it's the power play the penalty kill it's all about you know, uh focusing in and zooming in on those on those little details that make the difference you know we know all these teams are so good there's so much skill so much talent that those, you know, those fine little lines those details are, 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 what, are what makes the difference and and that's sort of what they zeroed in on man, during this break
3: now the Leafs will have home ice advantage here for the next couple games Saturday and Monday night. Uh, what do you think the game plan is to shut down the duo of McDavid and Drysidle?
1: Well, definitely more of the same of what they what they did it's, <laughs> it's, uh, you know at the start of uh, March and end of it, end of February. Much easier said than done, as we know. Uh, you know, last change is is, is important. Um, they they kind of came across that that third line of uh, McKayev, Hyman, and Englall, uh in that Oilers series, and I'm sure that that will. Will be part of it as well, getting uh, just sort of getting in their way. That, that, that's that's honestly like how they how they were able to, to frustrate the Oilers uh, in, in that series. I'm sure they'll be trying to do it again. I mean, like I said, easier said than done when you have you know two of the most dynamic offensive players on the planet on the on the same team and sometimes on uh, you know obviously on the same line and the same power play. So uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see uh, you know a month later or, or uh, you know three and a half weeks later uh, the difference. Um, the others have more answers. I'm sure they've been scheming and, and trying to figure out how to how to break down what the Leafs uh, what the Leafs did well in Edmonton. So you know, it's a game of, of uh, act and react, and we'll, we'll see how uh, how how both teams uh, manage it.
3: Now, as we tape this interview on a Thursday afternoon, uh, Tyson Berry currently said he's second in points when it comes to defense and behind only Victor Hedman. Uh, obviously, you saw Tyson Berry last year when he played with the Leafs. Were you surprised to see maybe how he bounced back this year?
1: I don't know if I would be, say I was surprised. I mean, I, I'm happy for him. He's a great guy. I enjoyed, always enjoyed talking to him. Uh, you know, he, he definitely struggled here last year. It was, it was interesting. I think a lot of guys don't realize how big a change uh, it is when you get traded. Uh, same with Alexander Kerfoot in Toronto. Like they, these guys, just, you know, it's one thing to say you, you, you're going to be able to, to seamlessly move in and and into and a new team and a new city and a new conference. Uh, but it's tough, you know, and, and I... We, we all knew Tyson Berry had the pedigree but for whatever reason he got off to a slow start uh, you know things didn't work out with Mike Babcock as a coach he had a rebound once Sheldon Keith uh, took over he got his confidence back up you know got some first minute first line power play minutes um, but it never really he just never really got in sync and, and it's weird because he's played with some great players obviously over the last uh, three years you know McKinnon Rantanen, landis Cogg. Then McDavid, Mar- or sorry, Marner and Matthews, and now McDavid and Dreisaitl. So he's had, uh, you know, some some pretty good forwards. And for whatever reason, it didn't work in Toronto. Uh, you know, they they liked him around the room. He just for whatever reasons, it didn't work out. Um, but uh, you know, he's been playing great. Uh, you know, him and Nurse have a great partnership. You know, and uh, you know, uh, he's going into his contract here. It'll be really interesting uh, again to see uh, he bettered himself, and it'll be interesting to see uh, after the season uh, how it shakes out for him.
3: Josh, just one final question here for you. Of course, the two games Oilers leave Saturday and Monday. Can you give me a prediction on what you think happens in these games?
1: <laughs> I'm not usually in the prediction business, but I'll, I'll do it for you. I mean, I don't see a sweep. I'll tell you that much. These these teams are, are a lot closer. You know, as, as we go down the stretch of any season, the games get tighter. I think at least one of them's going to go to extra time. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Edmonton takes both, but I, I think or Toronto takes both. But I think. Uh, no one's going to be swept. There's going to be at least an extra point on the on the board in one of these two.
3: Josh, thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate it, and we'll have to get you on again down the road.
1: Anytime, Connor. Thanks for having me.
3: Excellent stuff from Josh Clipperton of the Canadian Press. Like I said, give him a follow on Twitter at jclipperton__cp. He does great work for the Canadian Press covering... Those pesky Toronto may please. Of course, the Oilers, like I said, taking them on on Saturday, 5 o'clock puck drop out in Toronto. If you're looking for any pregame coverage, might I recommend TSN 1260, Tom Gazzola, Matt Cassian, and myself. We'll get that going at 3.30, puck drop at 5. And then, of course, the Oilers taking them on once again on Monday. And then off for a few more days, then it's the BOA next Friday, April 2nd. Can't wait for all of these games. It's going to be a lot of fun, and especially after this time off, I think we all miss hockey more than ever. So we need it back as soon as we can. Oilers leave Saturday, 5 o'clock puck drop like I mentioned. And that is going to wrap it up for us here on the Other Connor Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. One more time, big thank you to our sponsor, DraftKings. When you sign up today, and I highly recommend you do so, use the promo code THPN. It unlocks a lot of fun stuff. And on top of that, you can try to win some money. So check it out on DraftKings. promo code THPN. Next time on the Other Connor Podcast, hoping to have a conversation with former member of the Edmonton Oilers, Eric Greiber, get his thoughts on the time he spent in the City of Champions. And we'll also be recapping Monday night's game against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Thank you guys so much for tuning in once again. My name is Connor Halley. It's the Other Connor Podcast. Please give me a follow on Twitter at Connor Halley. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast. New shows drop every Tuesday and Friday, wherever you get your podcasts from.